Good morning. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And as we head into December, it is my pleasure to bring to you God's word for today. The word of God today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. This is the reading of God's word. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a great passage. Like many of you, if you're familiar with this passage, it has brought us a lot of comfort during very difficult times. To hear of God's grace is always comforting. But the unique quality of this passage reminds us that it's a sufficient grace and sometimes a grace that is given to us that we're not asking for. To help us to have a better understanding of what Paul is saying here, I want to share with you a little bit about the background of this book and the context of this passage. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He's writing in defense of his ministry. The Apostle Paul wasn't a great speaker like we would imagine him to be. Um, He wasn't one of the super apostles or the original 12. And when he comes along and speaks so boldly, people were asking, who is this? By what authority does he say these things? Well, in his love for the church and in defense of the ministry that God had entrusted to Paul, he writes this letter, the second letter of Corinthians. You see, Paul had received tremendous revelations from God. He had seen things too wonderful for human lips to utter. And so God in his wisdom and in his great love for him allowed a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being conceited. Now, we're not told specifically what this meant and what, it, what this particular thorn was. But whatever it was, it was physical, it was noticeable, and it brought Paul uh, a lot of distress. What's interesting is that Paul knew who had sent this thorn, why it was sent. It was sent to keep him from being conceited. And yet Paul continues to ask three times of the Lord that he would take it away. We may not always understand how God works and why God does or allows certain things in our lives. But I think all of us, including myself, we can relate to Paul's request. You see, no one likes pain. And our natural tendency is to want comfort and ease and rest. and To be free from pain of any kind. But life doesn't always seem to comply and Sometimes neither does God. And so here again is the battle of the wills. What I want versus what God wants. My goal versus his goal. And as long as I live in the flesh, I believe that this will be a lifelong tension for all of us. 
And there are only two possible conclusions. Either we will find contentment or we will live in discontentment with God, with situations. So here in our passage, the response of the Lord to Paul is not only powerful, but it's profound. It isn't the answer that Paul wanted, which was, yes, Paul, I will take away the thorn. But instead, the answer was what he needed. The answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. Whatever God, God's grace was given, God was saying, it is enough. When it comes to the grace of God, who would ever say no? No, thank you, God, for your grace. It's by grace we're saved. And the response of his grace in our lives is faith. Or perhaps another word that I like to use is surrender. What else does it look like when we trust God and allow him to have his way and his will in our life? Pastor John Piper has a four-line rhyming definition of grace. I want to share that with you. He writes, Not grace to bar what is not bliss, nor flight from all distress, but this, the grace that orders our trouble and pain, and then in the darkness is there to sustain. I love that. The grace of God is not to keep all that is not bliss. It's not to keep us from all distress. But it is the grace that brings order when we feel so troubled. And in the midst of those troubling times, to help us to sustain, to grow, and to draw near. We often look to God for what we want, to keep us from all pain and hardships. And sometimes God might be the author of that pain. And sometimes the answer from God to our requests to remove it is no, a loving no, but a response yet of grace. And so today I have two questions for us that I want to answer that comes from this text that, that really I was asking, and I thought we can ask it together. First is, how is God's grace sufficient for us? And secondly, how is his power made perfect in weakness? Because I want to live in his power and not just in my weakness. So let's answer the first question. How is God's grace sufficient for us? Well, first of all, sufficient grace means enough grace. And we're not talking about saving grace because that's powerful. That's all consuming. But for daily grace, that every day that you and I live, we need his grace, his sufficient grace. It is not to rid us of life's problems. It's not to fix every, every pain or hardship. It's given so that we might grow up into Christ's likeness. That in our daily learning, we would learn to trust and surrender to him. The word sufficient here in this passage implies endurance, strength, or satisfaction. It's the ability to find contentment with God, with what God provides. You know, it reminded me of the Old Testament, of the times when the Israelites were traveling in the wilderness, and they were wondering, what shall we eat? And God gave them manna. It was bread from heaven. It was these flakes that would drift down from heaven. 
But what's interesting is that God didn't give a bunch of manna so that we could all have just stores and stores of it in our home. He gave it one day at a time. And then he gave two days portion on the day before Sabbath so that on the Sabbath we didn't have to collect any bread. God gives us his sufficient grace to sustain us for each day. Not enough so that we can store it and have enough for all of the years ahead. And so to look at this, I want us to see the grace of God in a few ways that really impacts us. The first one is that the grace of God is sufficient to grow us. The Apostle Paul knew that with all the revelations he was receiving and seeing, that there was a possibility that he might become conceited. And for whatever way that Paul would have defined this, that God knew, God knew Paul very well, very personally. And God wanted Paul to remain useful and effective for him. And so the best way to do this was not only to show him these exceeding revelations, but also to keep him humble. Humble enough so that he remembers his mortality, his humanity, and even his sinful tendency to become arrogant and conceited. You know, these aren't the lessons that we ask God to teach us. They're the kind of lessons that we actually run away from and hope that God never addresses in our life. I want to ask you, what are some areas in your life that God wants to address? What are some character qualities that are lacking that you know And maybe you're afraid that God might be working on right now. You know, when I think about family ministry, some of the times that I go and minister to families is when there's distress at home. And there's nothing more upsetting than when a place that's supposed to be a place of rest and refuge becomes a place of stress and anger and and disharmony. And it brings so much frustration that perhaps our request to God is, God, please stop this pain, stop this stress in our home. And sometimes we wish God would just take it away, whatever that would look like. But oftentimes when I meet with families and when I think about even my own home and my own marriage, sometimes the answer from God is not that he would take away these hardships. Because maybe sometimes He's the one who sent them. He gave them to us so that we might learn and grow through it. In my previous years in ministry, um, I thought of many different ways that God grows us. Um, One of the ways that I know that God grows me is through sports. And we just recently passed uh, Thanksgiving where this church has always been well known for its Flag football teams, the men and the women. And yet there was no Turkey Bowl this year. But what I recall from Turkey Bowls in the past is that whenever men and women meet in a field of competition, of competitive sports, the nice coverings come off. All our nice Christian language and smiles and handshakes and God bless, all those seem to slowly fade away in the face of intense physical combat what comes to show are the raw emotions the pride the fear of losing 
the insecurities that we have because I made a mistake or I dropped the ball. Maybe even the anger that I stepped on the field with against a family member, a friend, a past hurt. They all come out on the field. We can't hide it. And so sports ministry at a church becomes a real place where raw and real emotions come to the surface. Where spiritual weaknesses are exposed. And yet in the face of this is shown grace. A sufficient grace to meet us. And accept us so that we can be different. It's not to tolerate sinful behavior, but to grow in spite of it. And because of a common love for Jesus, we can grow even in that weakness. You know, Sundays we can show up when we used to meet in person. And we can, we can walk onto a campus or even into a worship with smiles. And just saying, hey, so good to see you. And sing our songs and listen to a message. Feel blessed and go home. We can cover the pain. We can cover the weaknesses. But I know that when we face God and when we're real with him, all the coverings come off. And that's when true discipleship, true transformation, and true grace become sufficient. I love this quote by Jerry Bridges. He writes, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And so the grace of God is sufficient to grow us. But God's grace is sufficient also in the fact that he draws us closer to him. Ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, Mankind has been trying to live independent of God. That's what sin is. I don't need God to define right or wrong, good or bad. I don't want God to tell me how to live. I want to decide that for myself. And so because we who are not all powerful or all knowing, when we are separated from he who is all powerful and all knowing, that creates stress because stress is the most noticeable symptom of sin in our lives because we weren't meant to be independent or live independent from God. Stress or anxiety is the result of trying to control something we really don't have the power to control. God alone has the power and the knowledge of what tomorrow holds and how to resolve certain situations. Instead, we were created to live in a dependent relationship with the Almighty God. And while we're living under his authority, his will, and his truth, we were meant to live in the sweet zone of his fellowship. But we lost that at the fall. And so then grace becomes ultimately as God draws us closer to him. And the way he draws us closer is by showing this sufficient grace, this grace that teaches us and grows us, and this grace that somehow helps us to step over those hurdles. And to recognize those sinful tendencies and to draw near to him. In fact, you might say grace, this sufficient grace is summarized simply in him and his presence. It's when in Psalm 23, the psalmist writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. It's him. The sufficient grace for the travels through the valleys of the shadow of death that I will not fear is because he is with me. 
Or perhaps the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.13 when he says that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. How and what is Paul saying? He's not obviously saying he can do anything, but he can do all the things that God has entrusted him to do. And yet he could do it because of him who strengthens him. He knows that the Lord is with him through every trial, through every persecution, through every hardship and rejection. And so when Paul faced weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and even calamities, what was he to do? Most of us would try to get out of these circumstances, which we really may not have created or even have the power to get out of. And all these bring stress, fear, and anxiety. But God's sufficient grace meets us each day. It's enough, not only to get us through the day, but to learn that he is here. We're not alone. And that sufficient grace helps us to see and draw near to the one who calls us to come near. I want to ask you, Christian, do you meet with God daily? If you do, that's great. That's wonderful. But if you don't, why not? How can we feel alive when we don't come to him who is the life? And how can we know the direction of life if we don't come to him who is the way? And how can we discern and maneuver through life, life's truths and life's deceptions if we don't come to him who is the truth? And so the grace of God is sufficient to grow us. It is sufficient to draw us closer to him. And thirdly, the grace of God is sufficient to bless us with more than our wants and wishes can bring. You know, Christmas time can be a, a time of wanting more than needing. You know, the very first Christmas when Christ was born, it was a time of when God met us in his grace for what we needed. You know, it says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. <laughs> Can you imagine for Christmas, if parents turned to their kids and said, Well, for this Christmas... We have food and we have clothing. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I know that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly for most Americans, much less Christians. And yet here we find ourselves in this season battling the very things that we want, that we would define as blessings or even what, God, what it would mean when God would love me if he would just give me these things. During this holiday season, with Thanksgiving behind us and Christmas and New Year's uh, looking forward to and ahead of us, it can be a season of overindulgences. These are the times when we talk about having eaten too much food and watching too much sports or wanting all these things that we really don't need. Toys, both for children and for adults, so that life would be better. However you define that better, 
I'll leave it up to you, but is it really better? We want life to be perfect. We want all pain to stop. And we want every undesirable circumstance to go away. And in their place, we would like comfort, peace, rest, and happiness. And if you think about that, that sounds a little bit more of our desire for heaven than on earth. On earth, like Paul, we want to ask God to take away the pain. And in its place, we want God to fulfill our desire, our wishes. We often pray this way. And when God doesn't answer the way we ask it in our timeline, then we get frustrated. Maybe we quit praying. Maybe we quit turning to God or even coming to worship. You know, after 20 years of marriage, I've learned a very important lesson. It's actually a title of a book. It's where I got the thought from it that God's purpose in marriage isn't to make me happy, but to make me holy. If my wife were standing here with me, she would agree that we are far from perfect. But what God has been showing us for these past 20 years is that God has planned for us to be together because he wants us to learn and grow, draw near to him and understand that if we do things his way and not try to do, always do things our way, he would give us a great gift, a gift of drawing closer and understanding and experiencing the beauty of what marriage was intended to be. When two sinners are being refined and sharpened by one another. And so God gives us enough grace for each day. He gives us exactly what we need, how much we need to sustain us, grow us, draw us closer to him, and bless us his way and not ours. And so as we think about how God's grace is sufficient, I also want us to ask, how is his power made perfect in weakness. You know, it's, it's one of those statements that you hear it and you just go, wow, yes, amen. What does it mean? Well, simply put, it means to get out of the way. As we think about it, I remember what John the Baptist said as he, was, uh, as he met Jesus and as he baptized him in the Jordan. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's it. And so in application, when we, when we think about applying God's sufficient grace and seeking his power made perfect in our weakness, I have three suggestions for you. First is that this is going to be made possible when we are able to acknowledge our true weakness and acknowledge his true strength. What that means in one word is simply surrender. That God's grace meets us when we fall short. Grace is... The five feet I need to be able to dunk. <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever happen. Grace is a cleansing from sin that I don't have the detergent to remove. Grace is the power to reconcile the eternal gap of sin and death. Grace is the marriage that God will heal and transform if I will submit and do it his way. Grace is when God waits patiently for us to finally give in so that he can give us what is best. You know the word perfect here, his power is made perfect. It refers to a completion or an accomplishment. The focus is 
on something being achieved, not having flaws removed. And so it's not about picking about the things that God's trying to remove as much as he wants to do a good work in you and in me. And he's doing that good work. He's doing that work right now in your life and my life. It's the same word that Jesus used when he was on the cross. It is finished. It is made perfect. And so when we acknowledge how sinful we are, how weak we are, the reality is we, you and I have very little power. And it is when we acknowledge the one who truly has power that we begin to experience this sufficient grace in our lives. It's how it's, it leads us to the second application is that when we turn daily to God's power in prayer. I think you've all heard of the phrase, there's power in prayer. But my question is, where is the power in prayer? Is it in me praying or is it in the one to whom we pray? Obviously the latter. My question for you is, as Christians, we know how important prayer is. So why don't we pray more often? Why don't we pray daily? And why is it that we pray mostly when we're in trouble? I think the answer is simple. It's when we finally realize, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have the power. And so I'm finally going to turn to the one who does have power. Prayer is our humble way of getting out of the way to ask God to step into the way to make a better way. Prayer is also making requests to God and then letting God do what is best. It's praying, not my will, but your will be done. And so prayer is recognizing that I need his power and that I am weak. The third application to this is that his power is made perfect when we look to Jesus who took on our weaknesses to demonstrate God's power. You know, our salvation is rooted in the reality of our inability and Christ's ability, his ability to save, that he alone was able to save, and I'm not. That after becoming Christians, that truth doesn't end. That there's an inability to which he alone is able. The greatest gift that God could give to us while we live on earth, beyond Jesus Christ and the salvation that he's given, is to let us know that we're not alone, that he's with us, and that he is worthy of our trust, that we could turn to him, we could lean on him, we could draw closer to him, and that whatever he has for us is actually better than whatever I could want or ask of him. Every day as Christians, we live in the sufficient grace of God. Like it or not, know it or not. You know, the fact is, whether you realize it or not, we live in whatever sufficient grace God affords to us each day. Whether you're content or discontent, but I hope rather that we would find contentment in the presence of God. Especially in this season of discontentment, where we don't always get what we want I was reminded as I was contemplating on Christmas. You remember when the Magi came to give their gifts to Jesus of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? 
And you know, if, if someone came to your house with all these extravagant gifts, you might think, wow, I've become rich. But I actually think the Magi became rich. That they were able to know that the Messiah had come. That we're not alone in our sin. And that all that they were waiting for and that was foretold had finally happened. Every day as Christians, we live in this sufficient grace. And I hope that it would rather be of contentment and knowledge rather than discontentment and ignorance. That we live in this greatest blessing that God could give us during this Christmas season. That it's the gift of peace and of contentment and joy. Why? In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4, this is how Paul reaches the conclusion of this letter. He says, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul lived every day understanding that he was weak. And he, he transformed from asking God to take away the thorn in his flesh to now boasting in all his weaknesses. In fact, he says in verses uh, 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Or in the NIV, I delight with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. Christian, during this season where we feel weak and we feel overcome by the things that are going on in this world, I hope that we understand that we are not to shy away from weakness. In fact, like Paul, we can boast in our weakness because when we do, then we see the power of God and that the power of Christ may rest on us. His presence, his spirit, his love, his grace that meets us each day. I hope that as you turn to Jesus during this holiday season and you remember why he came, remember that God's grace is always sufficient, not only for our salvation, but for each day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this Christmas season that reminds us and takes us to the very presence of our Lord and that we are reminded today again of your grace which is sufficient to meet us in our hardships, in our difficulties, in our loss, and even during this COVID season. That whatever this Christmas is, it is not going to be less but so much more. Because whatever we have been able to see about our weaknesses, our inabilities, and our shortcomings, we are thankful that we are met with your abilities, your strength, and your perfection. During this holiday season, may we be overindulgent in your grace and love. And this season, whatever you send, may we find contentment, peace, and joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.